Welcome everybody. It's the holidays. It's the holiday season here at the I Green. You're gonna break into song HQ. No, mm. I'm just getting in the spirit. You know, the lights are out. The mm-hmm. things are on the table. You gather around the hearth and listen to Kanye West talk about Hitler on Infowars. Oh no, you don't. No, you don't. That's you... how we celebrate. No, we don't. Around here. No, we don't. We go to Home Depot and look at sad <laughs> trees that look like 300 pound men sat on them. You know, I don't know. The, the sad tree thing in New York is interesting to me because people seem to not have a real problem with that. People love a fucked up tree and I'm like, I can't. But, you know, I grew up in the suburbs where it's white in more ways than one at Christmas time. Oh, Jesus Christ. And where is this going? would actually go to a Christmas tree farm every year. Oh, yeah. And take the little saw and cut the thing down uh-huh. and get it bundled up and you'd see a reindeer and you'd buy an ornament. There are no reindeer. There was a reindeer at the one that I went to. They had him in a pen. That's a horse with some sticks on its head. No, it was a real reindeer. Mm. They brought real reindeer down from Eskimo land. No, that's not where that... (laughs) Nope, that's also (laughs) not it. Nope. They went up uh, Inuit way, and they brought down some... uh, They went to none of it, and they brought down some reindeer. Jesus Christ. Okay. And we got to admire them. Or perhaps they uh, brought them from the taiga in eastern Russia, where the happy people are from. Anyway, there was a reindeer there, and I saw it, and I think you could even pet it, maybe, but I, I don't remember doing that. A- anyway, all but I'm that s- was during the time when it also like snowed in December and wasn't moderately temperate. That's true. I think it would be a lot more depressing nowadays. Yeah, Regardless just a of hot where you reindeer are. just going. Ugh. Yeah, I think the reindeer was pretty depressed anyway. Well, I mean, it misses all the igloos and you know, uh, seal hunters and the salt lick. Yeah. Uh huh. Anyways. It was a nice, wholesome experience, you know? And then I hear from city people that grew up in city places mm-hmm. that they're like, oh, yeah, we always just went to, like, a parking lot for our tree at best. Or you bought it off the sidewalk somewhere. And I'm like, guys, that's fucked up. That's depressing. I think it's kind of fun because you kind of have, like, a, what the fuck's it going to look like? I don't know. It could look like anything. Who knows? Yeah, but they suck. And there's no real ritual around it. I mean, you're telling me the best you could hope for was a parking lot? I find it's it so sad. I do find it charming, like the Cobble Hill ones, leaning up some scaffolding, you know, outside of a CVS. Yeah, no, I don't find it charming, even remotely. I can't imagine, you know, raising a child and be like, we're going to get our special thing, the tree, that we're going to decorate together. And, you know, it comes from the same like gutter that someone's passed out on fentanyl in. Well, it's depressing. Maybe not over there, but like, you know, walking through Park Slope and you're like, ooh, time to get a tree. Mm. No, you man. know, the Upper East Side of Brooklyn, you know? I'm not backing down. I feel very strongly about this. Like, this is one of those things that people get defensive about in a let people enjoy things kind of way. Oh, and I right. will not let people enjoy this. It is much worse <clears throat> than the ideal experience from the picture books. I don't enjoy the cutting down of the tree, but oh, we, we used to that. have to, like, you know, go and look for one. But it would still be, like, you know, on a farm. It would just be pre-cut. Yeah, I remember the farm that I went to. They had pre-cut trees, and then they had the zone where you could go cut it down yourself. Yeah, and we, not w- every we went family, to the Cirque Zone. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, not every family went to you know went to the mule or the what's it called? The moil, the rabbi that bites. That's the, the, mo- the no. Dingus. There's no biting. No, they, sometimes they bite the dingus. They sure don't. Um, I've heard they do. That's where the the herpes spread comes from. No, a little bit. Um, we shouldn't talk about the jays though. People are getting in a lot of trouble talking about them right now. So. We'll stop. By the way, I looked back at 
I looked back at our episode list uh-huh. because I was thinking about Kanye because I want to read oh, verbatim his thing about Elon being Chinese. Absolutely which not. <laughs> nope. I thought was from Nick Mullen's account the first time I saw it. Um, uh, the first episode that we started talking about his breakdown was back in October. That man has been in the news cycle breaking down for a very long time. Yeah, I wasn't even really aware of There's that. a lot of bad other things happening in the world, so we really got to keep pumping the Kanye story, you know? As you think that's what it is? You think yeah. it's a calculated effort? We love... it's a He's a one-man band of culture war, so yeah. like you kind of can just be like, well, we don't have to cover anything else. This is fucking amazing. I mean, I guess. I just like He just keeps escalating it in a way that's unprecedented. Listen, I mean, you, I'm sorry to keep talking about this, but it's genuinely like incredible. When you have like, you know, cops watchmen the TV show style, you know, trying to gun down drag queens in Columbus, Ohio. Is that another thing that happened? Yeah, like they did that like thing like, you know, in the in the television show Watchmen. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not aware of this news event. Yeah, I didn't they, see this they went headline. to go protect the children. But like they look like the dudes, like the the Rorschach like Wow. That's Cops. so ironic, was too, like, because that whole huh? show was like a, a travesty because it was so woke. It wasn't that. Yeah. No. Uh, but then the but then the right-wing cops are now adopting the aesthetics because they think it's cool. The same thing happened well, with The Punisher, you know? That was supposed to be a satire. Well. And then the cops were like, that's cool, dude. Wow. So they really, yeah. some patriots got out there and they decided to defend against the groomers is what happened. And then someone shot up a transformer and cut power to 40,000 people in Bumblefuck. I don't know where. Wow. Well, to, w- to stop a, a drags. And I'm like, oh, to geez. stop the drag queens at the library. No, not even the library. Something? Just like a, a just show. in general. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, where are you the... coming across this? Apple news? Twitter.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a little, uh... I was going to say you're more up on the news than me. See the number one thing about Kanye going on Jones to me. I've been thinking about this a little bit mm-hmm. was, you know, I watched that. Or as of much of it as I could tolerate. Mm-hmm. Making Alex Jones uncomfortable. I mean, that's a that's an achievement Honestly, I never thought I would see. This is ironic and appropriate. Lime. <laughs> um, to me, I'm like, you know what? This is where I check out. I think. I think it. I think it hit me at the perfect age, and the perfect time, where I just go. You know what? I'm done. I have fully lost the plot. I'm like, I don't understand what it, what anything is anymore. Oh, for a while, you know. I thought I was like tracking stuff. You know, I could see all the threads going in all these different directions, and I could rely on my savvy media consumption to kind of collate them, and be like, okay, you know, people are feeling this anxiety or that anxiety, and this is where this or that thing comes from. Now you're telling me that people are like doing Ted Kaczynski maneuvers to like stop drag shows. Uh-huh. Kanye loves Hitler. Uh-huh. Alex Jones is uncomfortable as a result of it. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the cops are dressing up like the Watchmen police. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on anymore. Everything, I don't think anybody does. I think, every, I mean, I don't know if everyone has fully lost their mind. It just seems that way. But I'm, you know, it does seem like everyone is on, like, I've, I've said this for a very long time, like, the, the public is wilding out with Nick Cannon in more ways than one. The thing is, everyone is the public now. There's no strata, uh, you know, of class. I'm like, oh, no, everybody's fucking crazy. No, you know, I think this oddly has a lot to do. I'm going to do the thing right now that I said I wasn't going to do anymore, which is try and draw some threads together and collate all these insane (sighs) things. I genuinely think that Elon taking over Twitter and doing things like releasing the like internal documents about the Hunter Biden laptop story and basically like written my 
by Matt Taibbi. Matt, Matt Taibbi. Ooh, that wasn't everyone roasted his ass. I wonder why though, because I don't. I, we can talk he about. He got that. paid a lot of money to do that. We can talk about that in specific in a second. Mm. But let me try to let me try to get this thought out in real time while okay. I'm having it. So I think like when that happened, and you know now there's one element of people's media consumption that is no longer under the umbrella of the same like manufacturing consent that everything else is. Now we have a branch that's pretty major that's like off script. Uh, eh, you sort know, of, but I mean that's because that's a place where the squawking happens. You know, the reason you're making me think this is because when you say the public, I don't think you really mean that because I think the public, much like me, maybe, is all like pretty exhausted. Nobody cares about this shit, and no one right. wants to pay attention to it. It's the tiny sliver of the internet that Twitter used to control. That it, that is Can like I keep them in the online space. That is like disseminating all of this wacko information, which is why you know about this drag thing, and I don't. Right, right. I'm not on it well, as much. I'm not on as much. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Straight up, that's it. And that was like, you know, the dominant central node of the entire discourse. We touched on this a couple episodes ago. But now that node, because of Elon Musk and his antics, has gone like way afield. And there is no centrality anymore because now it's him and Twitter warring with the New York Times. Matt Taibbi gets involved. Alex Jones gets involved. Like all of these different. Someone threads. rounded up all the worst parts of everything and went, "Y'all in the same pen now." And I'm like, "Oh, this is bad." I guess so, but you know, like when conspiracy theorists say that, like in 2012, when the particle accelerator came online, it like opened a new reality or whatever. I do genuinely feel like the vibe shift with but the Twitter thing. But not for everybody. No. Mm. But the vibe shift with tw- Twitter is a similar thing because it kind of does apply to everybody. Because even if you're a regular person, you watch Fox News or you watch CNN or you don't really watch the news, you still get it filtered down to you. And it makes even less sense than it used to. Because when Twitter was aligned with like the rest of the corporate media to some degree or to a major degree, it all is working in unison. You know, The whole machine is functioning. Mm. And now there's somebody just sticking something in the gears like constantly. And regular people are like, who's the BDSM guy? And who's Alex Jones? And like, what the fuck is this? The BDSM guy. Kanye had the, the Balenciaga hood on his face, you know? Okay. All right. But it doesn't make any sense anymore. And even if you're like kind of invested in it, it still doesn't make any sense. It's kind of driving me nuts. I like can't even follow it for entertainment value anymore. And I'm like, is this how my grandpa felt during the satanic panic? He's just like, you know what? This seems a little far afield. I'm out. I, th- I, I stopped mean, paying yeah. attention, you know? Well, that's always like a, you know, that's always a gambit in media of like, do we want people to stop paying attention? And honestly, sometimes you're just like, you know what? As someone in the world, you're just like, it's good to know just a little what's going on. But I'm like, I literally do not care. I'm looking for the funny parts. That's why the best part, you know, best tweet about the, that whole kerfuffle was Yoohoo getting the biggest stray in that interview because there was a little Yoohoo bottle. Oh, yeah. The chocolate mm-hmm. milk. Yeah, that's right. I was like, I that person, that person's got their, you know, stepping outside of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But it, but it becomes even hard to have context for the funny at some point. Mm. Like, it can just be a non sequitur or whatever, but I don't like find, I don't know. I get what you're saying, but I don't find that particular brand of humor like that interesting. It's like, Okay, he also had a Bible and was, like, calling Laura Loomer on the phone. I mean... Who? It doesn't matter. Okay. It was psychotic in, on so many dimensions that being, like, LOL, you who, 
it's sort of like, all yeah. right, I mean, it's not, too, I, but I don't know what's funny anymore. I don't know what's what anymore. Um, is that a bad thing? Uh, I, I guess not. I guess not. But the problem is that I'm still addicted to the phone just like every other asshole. Right. So you end up looking at this stuff. Mm. And when you're like, I don't care, but I also can't look away. That's tough. See, I, you know, I'm really happy, like, you know, whatever my feed is, because, like, as much as, like, there'll be, like, a nice stretch of, like, newsiness, then it'll just be, like, a hoe pick, and I'm like, okay, palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Just a little mind eraser to get that, you just shake off the, the insanity, and you're like, hmm, fun. Yeah, I don't know. I get a lot more enjoyment out of YouTube these days. That's my main uh, consumption. Oh, the amount of playthroughs I've been watching? Ooh, baby. By the way, I found a wonderful video... I don't know how interested in this you would be, but it had less than 2,000 views, and it just came up on my algorithm because I've watched Painter's Painting like 17 times on YouTube. Yeah. It was called Morris Lewis Goes to Milan, and it was from, like think, the early 80s or the late 70s, just judging by the aesthetic of Hmm. the people. But it was an hour-long movie about the art handlers for a a Morris Lewis retrospective in Milan, Hmm. and it tracked the entire process from uh, New York, where the show was conceived, to every little pickup that they did for all the paintings. Yeah, you're just watching a, a Bravo reality show of your life. Yeah, but it's not a Bravo reality show. What I liked about it was it was like a public access, you know, very well produced, but mm-hmm. like relatively low budget, very sincere documentary in a mold you don't get anymore. So you actually get like clear educational information and nothing is cut for humor and there's very little drama other than when it really exists. You know, it, it, it was a thing you never see anymore. And it happened to be from the industry I'm a part of. So it's particularly compelling to me. Mm-hmm. For example, you meet the man who invented folding paintings. And the man who invented the stretcher hardware that Simon Liu made famous. Rather, he didn't invent the hardware. That was a cabinetry thing. But he was yeah. the first person to implement it in paintings. What, the you, little corner things? You meet, yes, the oh. little corner hardware. You meet the guy that developed all these techniques, and he did it specifically for Morris Lewis, and he was a friend of Morris Lewis. Huh. Things I did not know. I just figured they would just un- unstrap those and just roll them off and be like, oh, it'll be fine. Well, what what I ne- what never occurred to me was that, and I think we've even like kind of touched on this in the past, maybe when we were in Europe talking about the size of paintings and how to move them and stuff. People just didn't move big paintings. But when abstract yeah. expressionism came along, it was the first contemporary art movement where big paintings were made to be saleable and movable. Yeah, right? and we gotta we got to pump some some propagandies so they had to know uh or rather they had to develop a lot of new techniques for transport mm, because mm-hmm. people had known about rolling paintings forever yeah but like really long formats a real were bitch, not as yeah. much of a thing yeah or you just wouldn't move them they'd be like the napoleon painting that's kind of like well once it's, it's in there. the room yep. that it's in it never leaves that room um but so they had to d- figure out how to do this and this guy figured out how to roll uh fold paintings because of the collapsible stretcher and all of that. Huh. It was like this really organic growth of like these things that now every painter at a certain level completely takes for granted. Right. Well, you know, how do you fit a mural onto a cargo plane? Like this guy like solved that problem on his own and he was just like, yeah, I didn't even care about art. I was just some carpenter and I like knew how to do this. That's right. Yeah, that's sounds... And Morris like reached out to me cuz he was the only guy Doing. We were the only guys who knew each other. Right. Back yeah. in the day. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of an interesting story. And you see like this this younger kid who's like the protege of this guy and he travels to Milan to stretch all the paintings. It's like 
this stuff happens with such regularity now that oh, it yeah, wouldn't be interesting to anybody. Well, but this was like the dawn of it. Yeah. And I was like, nobody even knows this exists. Like, thank you, YouTube al- algorithm, for surfacing the only video that this guy ever posted, you know, five years ago with zero views. Uh-huh. That's just like sitting there waiting to be found. I'm like, man, you'd have to like scour university libraries vhs collections to have, find, yeah i you know? feel like it it would exist in some kind of public access thing or like a jstor kind of thing yeah hmm. interesting it was just a cool artifact but you know how long was it it's an hour long Ooh, that's, i know you're not gonna watch it it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a but i'm just throwing it out there if anybody's interested dip your toe into that just check out a couple of scenes i'm chomping out the bit to uh watch new white lotus so you know mm-hmm. got me and my hbos i'm all caught up on several things i'm rewatching sex in the city because oh you're the one doing that on yeah. my hbo uh-huh. i checked out hbo the other night to watch pulp fiction <laughs> and little do i know someone's prowling around in there i thought it was one of the many women that has access <laughs> to that account but it turns out it's you oh no yeah no because i was like let's see let's see how this holds every every, every now and then it's kind of good to go back and be like What's what's the holdup on this? You know, you know. I love to you know dip the waters in the old things and just be like, you know, things from the nineties. Yeah. And you just go, what's this like now? And you're like, God, this is. People were annoying as fuck, mm-hmm. but you can't look away because it is like a train wreck that you're like, God, it's so. And they're just so fast. They're so fast. I never liked that. I think that's only appealing to gay men. The fast dialogue. It's not fast dialogue. I mean, they're like twenty two minute episodes. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I can. It's the right amount of attention I need to give it. Yeah, I think for the TikTok generation, the 22-minute episode's going to come back. In fact, it already has. A 30-minute television moment? Yeah, most of those Disney Plus shows are that. Really? Yeah, huh. they're, they're no longer than 40 minutes. I'll People love that. an Andor, apparently. Yeah, everybody says that's good. I, I th- I'm not watching it. I can't remember so if sorry. I was telling you. I watched the first two episodes of it. Oh. And I was so confused and lost huh. that I was like, maybe I just don't remember enough about Rogue One. So I went back and watched that, and then I started again, and I was like, I still don't understand this, mm. and I turned it off. But apparently it's good, or my theory is it's probably not actually that good. It's just that all of those shows have sucked for a long time, and oh, people yeah. are like, this one's medium. And so it's it mediocre makes it best. seems like a yeah. masterpiece, I and mean, I, it's just I'm not interested, sorry. Not for yeah. me. Uh, no. Although they apparently did use, like, real live sets and uh, practical effects, which that right there is kind of appealing to me. Mm. Mm. But uh, not enough to really go back into it. Apparently they fired the, the the previous CEO because he cooked the books on how much money they were losing on Disney Plus. Yeah, I've heard... That's interesting. I didn't hear the cook the books angle. The uh, angle that I heard was that the the now uh, former CEO was trying to reverse all of the wokery. He was like, people don't like this. We're going to stop doing this He was also flim flamming on the like, you know, the don't say gay in Florida. And it's like, that was a big one that got him into big trouble because his, his, the whole thing about getting rid of Bob Iger, the guy in the first place was that their profits were starting to decline and they were like, okay, we need to go in a new direction. Well, and this guy was like, listen, all of the diversity and the ideological, you know, thrusting is chafing with middle America. We need to go more middle American. Then the don't say gay thing came up and he kind of balked at it. Yeah. And that didn't win him any points in the public eye. 
And then, you know, it sounds like from what you're saying, they weren't making any money anyway. Andy was trying to hide that. Yeah, they were so they're like, actively losing large sums of $8 billion. Let's go back to the guy with the juice. I mean, but everybody should have known that about Disney Plus, right? But we know that about all streaming things. They of don't course. make money. Nobody makes any money. Um, the, the entire economy is being exposed as a Ponzi scheme that people are barely able to hide at this point. It's kind of entertaining. Yeah. Like, that's where I get my, you know, entertainment value. I'm like, hmm. So, you're all making no money. You're spending money. Where does the money come from? How do you get the money? From where? From what? Like, if you're Disney, does it come from parks? Does it come from mouse merchandise? I have heard that Disney's only truly profitable wing is the amusement parks, which COVID hit really hard. So, the advent of Disney Plus, if you'll remember, that came out in December of 2019. Oh. Or something like that. Maybe 2018. Oh, so the parks department paid for the media wing? Yeah, or was trying to, mm. and then both things were probably losing money at the same time, and now the one thing's back, and the other thing's you know middling at, at best. Yeah, I gotta cancel the Disney Plus. I don't yeah, think I, I, don't I think, think I that's fine. Yeah. I don't think you need to have it. I don't really no. use it. Every once in a while, I get a hankering to watch something trashy, but I don't even finish them usually. Mm. You know, I can figure out how to pirate the Phantom Menace the next time I'm in the mood for Jar Jar Binks. And political discourse in a floating disc mm-hmm. dome. Yeah. Hmm. You know, sometimes you just got to watch Ratatouille, though. You know? Have a moment. Never well, never nice, watch man. Coco again because you never want to cry that hard. I'm not going to deny that having the Disney vault around for that like once every three months feeling is a nice thing to have. It's a once every two years for me. So I'm like, but yeah, mm-hmm. is that really worth like $100 a year? I don't know. No. Yeah. But I don't think I'm paying for it. I don't know. There it's used to be a thing called DVDs that you would just purchase once. I know. You know? But we're not allowed to purchase things once anymore. No. That's not happening. Now you got to rent the sweetest thing for 4.99 every couple mm. months. Yeah, no, 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 no. You got to get got to get a VPN and bring back the uh LimeWire Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mhm. Um anyway, can you explain to me? Can you explain to me why people were mad at Matt Taibbi? Cuz I think a lot of people didn't know who Matt Taibbi was. Oh, no, so media, I kind media of, people know who he is. Uh, so of course like, they do, know. but I kind of wrote it off in my mind as like, of course, mainstream media people never liked him, and the people that didn't like him, or, or sorry, didn't know about him, are just going to listen to who's ever more prominent trash him. So I kind of was like, yeah, this has no basis. But what you were saying earlier kind of made it sound like he got paid money to do this? Yeah. What do you mean? Like he, It's kind of like understood that it was like almost on the level of like a Wall Street Journal kind of thing where like as a PR move he's like I want Elon like hired him to write about it and gave him all the access yeah and Toby's whole thing was like fuck rich people you know he was very like kicking against the pricks as his brand yeah and then it's just like to go to like you know this guy and take huge sums of money to write an expose in threads, you know, or whatever. It's like, mm, that do- actually does nothing. Uh, well, here's the thing about this to me. First of all, full disclosure, I've always liked Matt Taibbi. I'm very familiar with his background. I think he's a really good journalist, like one of the only mm. only good ones left. He was also, like, journalists don't like him because he liked to cosplay like he was uh, Fear and Loathing Burroughs. No. No, uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. He had that kind of well, like wannabe aesthetic about I don't him. Know. All of this, all of this sounds like uh, 
this is like inside baseball bullshit. Where but like, no, you know. it, it, but yes, it is. But it also just sounds like this is all just a smear campaign, though, because he's not a hack. But he kind of is. Like, no, he's not. Yeah. Like when you're talking about like the Gonzo thing of like of like getting embedded with the industries that he wrote about. He wasn't doing a Hunter S. Thompson impression or anything. But that's mm-hmm. a well-established genre of journalism that people just don't do anymore because they would rather play ball with the powers that be than like. Um, I think do it's more about the people that knew him at cocktail parties and the way he behaved around and like a little bit of too much ego. Maybe, but again, a, probably a smear campaign to assassinate his character. Like, I don't know. He used to have a podcast that I listened to a lot. Ooh. You can only get so much character through that, but it was not an irony-like driven podcast. It was like a news podcast, you know? Hmm. And he didn't. He seemed like a genuinely nice guy. And every other interview I've ever heard from him, you know, maybe his behavior is bad, but I also don't care. Hmm. Like, you know, I trust his, uh, his voice, you know? Hmm. So this whole thing of him getting paid by elon i don't know whether he got paid or not but i also don't care because Mm. it's very obvious that elon was looking for a journalist that isn't corrupt in the eyes of a lot of people but he's he's looking for a journalist that would appeal to someone like you of course be like oh i want to you know i want him back on my side which is a savvy move and and i I think people are getting it twisted when they think this is like a, a maneuver to like resuscitate elon's reputation i don't care about elon musk i don't particularly like him but like the release of these things is vindicating for all of us that have been out here being like yeah this happened the entire time collusion between you know uh government agents and tech companies to censor information yeah no duh no shit i've been talking about that for years yeah but like if you saw it's nice to finally get information that's like yeah this concretely did happen yeah but like you you know know, if the public got to see uh hunter biden's dick would they still probably Vote blue no matter who. Yeah, they would. I think, I I mean, I think the election was close It's not that much of a smoking gun. Listen, I I don't think it's that much of a smoking gun either, but that's not the point. Like, again, I feel like all, every time this comes up online, and now even with you, I'm not accusing you of anything, but I think you're you're talking in a similar way, where it's like, everyone's talking about a non- a non-problem. I don't care about the election. Nobody cares about the election. Like, if the Democrats wanted to win, they were going to do it one way or another. You know, it doesn't that's that's not the point. The point is that like you you have information in front of you very factually that proves that like you know people's people's opinions are deliberately censored by both private and public entities constantly. Like it's important to have that on the record. And that would never have happened if it wasn't for Elon Musk. I hate to say it. It's it's not a question of liking him or not, but it's like yeah, good on him. That's it, you can have a bad person do a good thing and i think like with when it comes to taibi it's like it makes sense to tap taibi to do that because he has no qualms about like uh standing on principle even if it's you know he's not against rich people he's against what they do being against rich people point blank is this morally black and white thinking that's like not productive being against elon musk is the same way not everything he does is bad not everything anybody does is bad Mm. you know I mean, but it's a particularly fraught for the time, people running you know? you know the world cup this year but you know i mean fifa being corrupt with like we've by been, like letting been, qatar we, buy the game we've, yeah we've been done knew that yeah that's not but everybody knows that too but it's like it's a different thing when you have it on record like everybody knew during watergate that like you know politicians are corrupt and they do things but like having someone get caught doing a break-in is a pretty big fucking deal it mm. used to be a big deal well 
I guess what I'm lamenting is that nobody seems to care and that then the whole discourse around it, whether people care or not, gets totally off track talking about Elon Musk and whether or not you like him rather than the but, fact of the matter. But, like, he that's also something that he brings on himself. Like, because, you know, the, the, you know, like the swirl in a turlet, you know, it always has to go around one vortex loop and it always has to center back to him at, at the end of the day. You know, like, that's why doing it, like, on live or whatever. We're going live, and then, oh, wait, we have to wait 20 minutes to fact check our bullshit. Right. It's like, do it or don't. Like, you you have to either do your drop and move on or, like, you know, bumbling your way through, you know, handling a media organization is, like, a thing in television, you know? But having, like, retard succession is, like the most embarrassing thing to watch in public. Well, I think that I think when it comes to like people that are perceived as right wing, like Elon Musk, like Donald Trump, they do themselves no services when they do do good things because they spend so much time beclowning themselves yeah. that it, it, it's inevitable that they cycle it back to themselves, whether it's accidental or intentional. It's just this narcissistic like effect. What's the douchebag son on succession? Uh, Roman. No, no, no. No, Kendall. Yeah, that one. Yeah, they're all Kendalls. Yeah, they're all Kendall roaring about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like be the Romans of the world. Do your do your squirrely bullshit, but like, don't let anybody find out about it. You know, I, fuck the old lady in the office. Just don't let any, anybody else find out about it. It's fine. It's fine. The thing is, there's certain things that like the public should know, and then when they do that, they both get no credit for it. Which I don't care whether they get the credit or not. It's just a simple fact that they don't. And the discourse gets completely fucked up because of their involvement in it. Yeah. So that it becomes this like personality thing rather than a substantive thing. So well, everybody's fucked in the end because you you can't talk with any clarity about like a substantial development. No. You know. Right. I mean, it's and it, I guess people have, again people have been saying this about Trump for six years now, but like, damn, it kind of sucks. It sucks. Why does it suck? This is exactly the terms by which every that whole this you know the whole either you know journalistic enterprise of this release or whatever it was all designed to be this way. So it's not as if it sucks as a byproduct. It sucked as a thing to begin with. The thing is, I disagree. I don't think that it was designed to be this way. Mm. I think that this cl- clusterfuck is a result of a bunch of mixed up ex- incentives because we're focusing in the last minute or two on like the big personalities involved like Elon Musk. But it's also the fault of the media over several decades like completely discrediting themselves. So that when a journalist a twofer, who is yeah. relatively honest gets involved, he's smeared by by his association with almost anything at that point. By well, being a journalist at all and and bothering to have like uh, a level of sincerity and authority to their presentation, you're completely undermined because you have to associate yourself with the corporate media and with big personalities nobody trusts anybody in that environment well yeah i mean you know my uh, maggie haberman did it too when she's like mm, yeah i had more stuff to report but i was saving it for my book and it's like you dumb bitch like don't tell people that shut up oh are you talking about how she was friends with ruth bader ginsburg and uh 
the, it came out Friends. later in no she was and mm. it came out later in her book that she had been trying to tell Ruth Bader Ginsburg to retire or rather I'm sorry I mix I'm mixing that up Ruth Bader, Bader Ginsburg had been refusing to retire and nobody in her inner circle would tell her hey it's probably a good idea you have cancer like let Obama appoint somebody and you know they all end up looking bad because they just wouldn't like, tell her the truth. Also, you know? like, girl, write that, write that article while the bitch is still alive. Exactly. Sway some, sway some shit. And it comes out years later that you didn't do anything, and then like, what a catastrophe that's been, you know. <sighs> and now, and now, if it is true that like Matt Taibbi, for example, like took a lot of money from Elon Musk and sold out to show for him, don't know if that's true. But if it is true, well, fuck. Then he, yeah, he's just Maggie Haberman too. And it's like, there's no one, and nothing. To, to rely on. Well, you know, I, this is if you believe that there's sacred cows anywhere, you know, it, which I don't, I don't think we're at the point where that's, you know. To it's me, it's little, not a question. Of, to me, it's not a question of sacred cows because it's not like an idolatry thing. Again, it's not about the personalities. It's not about a particular allegiance to Matt Tyson. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about like institutions or like roles of people in, you know, reporting media. Like there, it, like there is no like, you know. Who are the people who reported Watergate? Woodward and Bernstein, but they've clowned themselves well, lately, oh, too. Oh, of course, yeah. They're Russian like, people now. You know, or like, who's the guy who was like, JFK died, and I'm Walter Cronkite's. We're not, Cronkite. There's no Cronkiteing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even he was like, in his dotage, wouldn't retire and was like, forgetting shit all over the place, right? Sure. You know, you're like, ooh, just go away. Go to bed, Grandpa, you know? Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, fair enough, because I am just kind of throwing a hissy fit over, like, not having any, um, you know, collective sense-making anymore. Right. Whether it's Edward R. Murrow or Walter Cronkite or Matt Taibbi, it doesn't matter. But they're, or whatever. Elon Musk, who cares? Um, you're right. I mean, I'm rehashing, like, a very old conversation, but I do feel like... Um, that's what I'm saying when I'm saying that it sucks is I'm genuinely like feeling that right now because I think like it was one thing during the Trump years because it was kind of new. The breaking apart of this was semi new. Yeah. And then post him with COVID and with like Biden and like just Twitter now, the, the way things are now, like the decay when you don't have the mega clown isn't any fun. Yeah, and no the la- and the lack the lack of sense making like tearing people apart it doesn't break down into like basically two camps of pro trump and anti trump anymore it's like way too fractured yeah. it's just frustrating well it's like, like I do think you need institutions is what I'm saying I'm returning to my position of radical centrism and oh, going like oh. god damn it where are they but also I there's mean, none this also like goes to you know all aspects of culture right like there is no like you know. You can't have one zeitgeist when there are many, right? You know, you can never go back to, you know, you can't start at one again, you know? Like, uh, uh, what's the, what's the, what's that Italian clown? Pagliacci. Mm, Is that the one? From the opera? From the, yeah. Sure, why not? But like, even the idea of like, you know, like Italians love Sebastian Maniscalco, right? Yeah. You should know who that is. Yeah, of course I do. You know, like, People rally around one thing, you know, depending, you know, on whatever. But, like, there is no one thing in culture to rally around. It's like, oh, everyone thinks it's at least mid, you know? Right. 
highfalutin people can be like, well, of course I know what it is, but like I don't love it. And even, you know, yokels can be like, I saw once, I heard of that. Like whatever. Like there is no nexus that binds all of culture anymore, which is kind of weird. And usually, you know, if you're Ken Burns, you're like, it's baseball. And you're like, fuck off, Ken. You know, like, no. No one's rooting for who was in it. Oh, what, the Astros and the Phillies? Yeah, like anyone gives a shit. Well, it's like they had to change the rules of a more than 100-year-old game to get people to watch it because it's so boring. Yeah. To TikTok people. Yeah, we can't even you know? do that. We can't even yeah. do that. So, you know, Ken Burns can take a hike, right? Right. Uh, like, we don't even get, like, that. Like, there's no... Like, at most right now in mid-culture, you have Abbott Elementary. I don't even know what that is. Let's see. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, because, again, online culture, people are like, what the fuck? are you talking about and right. you only have to know about that if you know who uh quinta brunson is who who i also don't know oh. i think i might have seen an ad for this on the side of a bus yeah that sounds does right. that sound right yeah, that sounds is right. it like a big three network tv show yes, all all the big bang theory uh i'm not i'm not saying it's like the big bang theory but with the same NBC, level of prominence yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah yeah see i do but this is the thing i think you do need to rally around mid I actually think that's necessary. And Culture I, needs a mid, you know? Well, and I don't think that there's ever been a similar situation to now because the global situation in, like, you know, technologically developed places has never been so similar and yet so far apart. Like, you at least always had the locality of the place you were in to ground you in some kind of mid. Right. You had the gossip of the city you lived in. You had this and you had that. You don't even have that now. It's like, I don't know. The... This is all like a a long way to get to a different thing. I I listened to a podcast uh, this week with a guy who I can't remember his name and I didn't particularly like anyway. But his his thesis, he wrote some book, and his thesis was that um, decades don't actually end when we think they do. So we always think of things in clean terms. Twenty ten to twenty twenty uh, yeah, yeah. is a decade, um, but. When you think about things in terms of the long 2010s or the long 1960s, like perhaps the 50s didn't end until JFK was assassinated, right? So the early 60s, perhaps the 60s didn't end until the early 70s. You know, Watergate, uh, the last moon mission, Vietnam. Um, So he was putting that thesis into the future and his speculation was that the 2010s didn't really end till like right about now. That's they didn't right, really yeah. end till COVID and Biden. Yeah. Trump was the apotheosis and you have to kind of get through that and then like see the shakeout. And now the 2010s are like kind of ending. Maybe 2024 will be the definitive ending because if Trump comes back, it's a different situation. Yeah, it won't, it won't happen, but who but knows? Yeah. Okay. But so I kind of liked that idea. That was an interesting idea. And on top of that, he said that he thinks that the 2020s and to some extent the 2030s or however you define this upcoming decade, regardless of years, will just be defined by exhaustion. Which yeah. mirrors what we've always talked about in terms of is is it the seventies again? Right. What we've been talking about this year. Yeah. Like I would think that is a similar like decade of exhaustion. Where like, sure, in the history books a lot of things happened, but I think people that lived through that time really just experienced it as like, I don't know, I'll wear the fashions of the day, but like eh, I don't really care, you know? That's why people were like, ooh, uppers. Fun, There's that line you know. from the Leonard Skinner song "Sweet Home Alabama" where he says, "Like Watergate, don't bother me none." And I'm kind of like, "Yeah, I feel <laughs> like the Leonard Skinnerization of society." Not title of episode, no, <laughs> absolutely not. You already said it before, but I can't remember what it was. Though. I don't know. But I feel like that effect. I really feel 
where I'm like, yeah, Donald Trump don't bother me. Neither does Kanye and Alex Jones. But also, like, I don't even care what's happening. Whatever. It's like not like even like sensitive like wokey doke people are like that Kanye shit's funny to me because this shit is wild. Like it's not even offensive anymore because it's just like if you're gonna get your your panties in a twist, you were gonna do that over whatever. So like it doesn't fucking matter. That- like even like sensitive people who like you couldn't you know you would maybe have to dance around certain words are just like this shit is wild. I'm not even mad about it. The you thing know? is, the thing is, no, no, no. I disagree only a little bit. I think you're right on point, except for one minor difference, which is like the wokey doke people is a great example. For, for instance, the other day at work, we have a CD player there that's like a six disc changer that everybody likes to fuck with from time to time, rather mm-hmm. than listening to Spotify or whatever. And so there were six discs in there, and nobody really knew what they were. Somebody had just like popped them in. They're all blank burned CDs, you know. Right. And one of them was Kanye West's uh, third album. Or second album, late registration. Oh, so it's old Kanye, and you know I'm there. My coworkers are there. the The dudes are just dudeing out, and Kanye's on, and we're not even talking about it or thinking about it. And a wokey doke comes in the room and goes, <gasps> "Oh, fuck off!" You know, without doing the audible gasp, but essentially like looks around at us like, "Are you guys crazy? This is like listening to Mein Kampf on audiobook." And you're just like, didn't even know that it was on. Quite so the frankly. slight yeah. disagreement that I have with you is those people still get upset, but I think they even feel that it's just automatic. Mm-hmm. It's not a real convicted sense of like, this is a problem. It's like that triggered me to automatically do the thing that I do. Right. And then when they get almost zero reaction from the other people that are like, yeah, what? I'm not even going to have this conversation with you. Like it's on and it's going to stay on. You know, all through a look. Literally just like, I don't know, it was in there and yeah. we're not moving. And, and it's not my fault. Yeah. Whatever. They don't get the satisfaction they want. Nobody has the conversation that anybody used to want to have. It's all just happening automatically. No one's getting into anything anymore. No. But like, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's just kind of funny when someone like, again, who you would expect to be very sensitive or like would react is just like, hey funny like i'm like oh okay great like everyone's on the same page of like we're not doing histronics anymore yeah yeah like that's exhausting for people oh for the participant and and the uh and the recipient yeah yeah. and anyone who like you know is smart enough to make it out the other end to be like yeah i don't really fucking care actually that much like let's be real it's like okay good good we're all on the same page no one actually cares that much like if you did you wouldn't be a registrar at boop, you know, mm-hmm. you would be like, you know, pounding some pavements and shaking some trees or I don't know what people do. Um, like you're not at like the coalition for the homeless. Right. Exactly. You're making over $70,000 a year. Yeah. 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 There's you're not a scraping by on 42 from a nonprofit. Um, on Matt and Shane's secret podcast m- many years ago, Matt was in social work school. It was while they were doing the podcast while they were getting canceled. So oh, can fun. you imagine that? Yeah, like the the wokest of environments at the peak time. Oops. A guy from Philly. Yeah, like a blue collar white guy just asking questions, you know. He was not having a good time there. But one of his uh, famous stories that he always tells from that era was that whenever people would start to like get histrionic about kids in cages, you know, the, like the fellow students he was with, he would be like, "Guys, why don't you just go there and do something about it?" The plane flight down to El Paso to work for a nonprofit costs way less than the amount of money that you're spending being here right now. 
If you actually cared, you would just go do that. And of course, they would flip their shit on him. Yeah. They're like, I gave $50. That it's more complicated than that, or that I'm already doing enough, or that I'm emotionally exhausted. I always love that I'm doing enough. Yeah. So you don't actually care. You just need to soothe your own fucking white guilt. Yeah, yeah. You're you're just, you're doing something else other than that. So why are you talking about it? Right. And now I think that everyone is there. Everyone's at that point, whether they want to admit it to themselves or not. But this is to the exhaustion point where that's where that, that's what that actually means. Yeah. Not exhausted in terms of not wanting to pay attention. Because that's always the liberal criticism, right? Is like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Oh, fuck off. The famous t-shirt. Yeah. But it's like, no, that's not that's not quite exhaustion yet. What it means is just we're all going to, Soviet Union style, like acknowledge it and not keep care. Pumping, and we're yeah. just going to keep doing our jobs. Or well, whatever. it's also like, you know, we're, we are approaching, you know, uh, especially I think after the last four years, like burnout city all over the place. Yeah. You know, I... You can only, like, kind of take so much before you're like, listen, I've been doing everything right. You're buying the t-shirts. You're, you're like, pink pussy hats. You're, like, doing, saying the right things. Whatever the fuck. And you're just like, I can't anymore. You know, I mean, what could a white girl can't if she can't, couldn't even can't anymore? You know, like, <laughs> it's that level of, like, thing. But it's like, you know, you couple that with actual, like, you know, physical burnout mental burnout like work bur- like you know if you compile it all then people are just like like i get why like people who live through the 70s are like yeah i love watching shitty tv yeah it's like oh but that's like giving up that's not even burnout like burnout is like just literally like not i don't know maybe it's like not moving but like or it's like the psychotic break of moving into like a tiny home i don't know uh yeah i don't know i i it's complicated. To I would s- like to see where that, you know, where that kind of burnout goes. Cause I'm waiting. I want my popcorn for that shit. Well, I think we'll see. I mean, I think we'll see where that kind of burnout goes. And the thing is, it, you know, cause you could Don Draper burnout and be like, yeah, I'm a fake hippie, you know, writing jingles and shit, you know, like, well, listen, that is a kind of burnout of like, I don't really care. What anymore. do you think all of the tech workers that are getting laid off this year and next year that have made $2 million over the last like three years at age 27 are going to do with it? A lot of those people are not going to be in the workforce. Probably that's probably for the better. Honestly, they didn't have a real job in the first place. They were sucking value out of the economy generated by other people while they sent emails like them being like, Don Drapered off like giving the world a Coke or whatever in their own minds is probably better for everybody. It'll decrease some resentment. <sighs> you know, fewer of those people will be around. I don't know. But it's not even just them. It's like th- th- this whole arc of burnout, it's going to take 10 years. I mean, I'm to just get at to the, the point where I'm like, listen, I've been literally generating, you know, value, like, you know, Marxist style. Yeah excess value you know for the better part of 10 years i want my shitty email job now please papa wants to see it oh dude i think a lot of us feel that way hey is kanye playing on the cd player and you have a problem with it why don't you work from home because you can and i can't yeah like i don't don't fucking tell me what to listen to yeah oh is this your you know second day in for the week okay then you can fuck off like it doesn't matter like yourself yeah i'm very much on the like wait how did you fuck up and you don't leave your home excuse me you go to the office how many times a week? Okay. 
Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, all, all of this stuff will have to shake out over a pretty long period of time. And in the meantime, it's going to be confusing, but still spectacleized. I think that's what was frustrating me at the beginning of this conversation, is yeah. that the spectacle's not going away. That part of it remains. Yeah. It will seem like a lot of things happen, but like anything of consequence, it's all on autopilot. No, nothing of consequence will really happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything stays the same, but just gets worse. The old like Felix Biederman line. I think that's like. But this is why, like, you kind of have to now pay attention to like the smaller things. And this, I'm yeah. I'm segueing, because um, this is where you get like seventy like seventies art that gets a little bit smaller in terms of. You get, this is where your uh, what's his face with the twine three nails. Twine and three nails, Richard Tuttle. Yeah, yeah. You get your Tuttle moments in of art where people are like. You know, the minimal, like something a little bit more poetic, but a lot smaller. Because I'm just thinking of, does this maybe work as a transition? No? Yeah, sure. 70s burnout. Go for it. Yeah. Because like the uh, Joe Brainer show that I was like, I guess I have to go see it. I feel, you know. Who is that? Can you preface what you're about to say with like a little summary of who that is? I know very little. But, you know, in the the Metbot, like five of them that usually hang out on a sidewall off of the lower contemporary but uh even broader than that is this a living person is this a dead he'd be real dead yeah from what era of art are we talking about Uh, 60s to 90 okay died in 94 probably aids because gay sure um you can check out will's instagram story or i guess not anymore no for the one little drawing that i saw which was a nice drawing it was like a nice uh sort of architectural uh minimal it was like a door and drawing a key, you know, on yeah. a yellow piece of paper, I think. Yeah, it was like yellowed paper. But you know. like a lot of them are like crumpled up little like receipt looking things and they're cut into like shapes of like briefs. Sure. And there's a lot of like gentle. The show had a lot of like ephemera, little small things like works on matchbooks. And like, you know, there's a really good um, collage thing of like this cartoon picture of a butt and then a uh, phrase that says you, you find your way and you're. Uh, you work your way to a place of something. I don't know. Something. I was like, "That's funny." Uh-huh. We love a we love a good butt joke. Sure. Um, but I was like, you know, it's a full thing, and he illustrated one of Sheldahl's poems. Okay. So you know, it's that kind of like downtowny scene of that era. But again, it's very small. Right. Like the idea of smallness, like even like uh, sunset sunrise photos from the rooftop, or not photos, uh, paintings, very like Whistler looking. Like that small, like small, like Ree Morton kind of small, like weird, kind of kitschy looking, very handy shit. Yeah. Not goopy ceramics that you can charge a lot for. Right. You know, we're, we're going to bypass that bullshit any minute now. So I'm wondering when the like the smalls coming back. Well, the thing that's interesting to me about this as like a germ of a potential parallel is that like conditions aren't the same, you know? So there's. Two parts to that. One is like the guy that you're talking about and a lot of the people that you're talking about from like the 70s to the early 80s that get rediscovered periodically. Rediscover being the key word. Yeah, like New Museum 1.0 shit. A lot of this hagiography surrounding these eras just happens in retrospect. I don't think people at the time experienced it that way. Maybe Joe Brainard was like famous then or not. Probably not. Like friends with the people in the scene. That's why, like, again, like maybe he fits the 2022 version of what the 70s are like. You know what I mean? And in right, 1990, yeah. whatever they were feeling about the way the 70s were, because it was still a live issue in a lot of ways, didn't match 
Joe Brainerd, it matched Susan Rothenberg, or it matched Julian Schnabel, or whatever. But like it, it matches the kind of vibe of like a Felix, where it's like small thing, but feel a small, intimate moment. But Felix thing was like, let's just make it real big. But or it, you have well, puzzle the puzzle pieces that are only like, you know, a four size. I'm of the opinion that the the grandiosity of art that does like maintain its value, not in the economic sense, but in the cultural sense, over time, it, it tends to be the larger quote larger not a question of physical scale stuff because it's just generally more appealing more ambitious um speaks to a universality that small things cannot they just can't yeah. if you're if your focus is too personal this is as true of a novel or a movie as it is of right, a work of yeah. art if it's if it's too limited in its scope it'll just remain minor. There's just no way around that. That doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that its scope is limited. Right. So you never know. And when I'm saying that conditions are different, what I also mean is very literally that like in the the 60s into the 70s, like... But think about it. We have a Cats show up right now and that scope is real fucking limited. In a lot of ways, yeah. I I mean, I'm not a huge Alex Katz fan. It's like six subject matters. Sure. You know? And I'm not making an argument that things that make it into the canon are necessarily worthy of that or anything. Right. Not all the time. Mm. And, and it's def and it's still a matter of subjectivity. Right. Like I don't think Alex Cass is that good of an artist. I just don't. Not and an I, artist. I, Fine painter. And I can't even really explain artist. that. I don't even think he's that good of a painter. That's the the whole thing about oh. Alex Cass that really frustrates me is there's this virtual discourse around how like you know, economical and like amazing he is a, as a painter. But when I see his paintings, I see a pretty ham-fisted utilitarian technique that isn't that different than James Rosenquist or like a billboard painter. Yeah. Uh, that does not impress me. And especially when I see his later efforts that are mostly about his virtuosity and they're yeah. not that good. Yeah. That a lot of like amateur painters, frankly, with That's no reputation. Can, like, crank out in like first year undergrad. Can do a lot better. Well, when your studies are better than your ambitious work, uh, you don't really have me there. That doesn't make any of it that bad, but it does it good. undermine the whole discourse around. But it is mid, yeah. You know, to circle back, which it is, is maybe a, you know, maybe why people rally around somebody like Alex Cass. It's easily understandable to almost anybody. Mm-hmm. It's appealing to almost anybody. Yeah, it's mid canon. Yeah, you know, Th- then the, that needs to exist too. There's a, that's fine. I don't care that that's there. It's just not to me, not that good. Yeah. But you know, I, I think I wonder what's going to happen with art because it seems to be a completely recession proof industry right now, which would imply that we're in the last bubble to burst perhaps. Well, although it has survived in spectacular fashion too very chaotic. How did that, how did NFTs survive and people are still trying to pump them? Because, man, if you if you build a market for a collectible, it is inflation and recession proof completely. And it does not matter whether it's an NFT or a actual painting on the wall. Once that market is propped up, there's so much wrapped up in that that it cannot fail. It is the last It's the last bastion. bank last bank standing. It is the last bank standing quite literally. Why do you think that criminal enterprises steal from Isabella Gardner to fund their terrorist activities? Right. You can pass those things around without them losing their value ever. Which I thought happened a long time ago and I'm like 90 94 Was it even that late? Oh no, it was 90. I think it was, it was 90. 90. It was 90. Yeah, yeah. But those these things literally do not lose 
lose their value. Right. You know, even with all the regulation that's uh, ostensibly around things like central banking and, or, well, private banks, like, there's still the possibility that J.P. Morgan Chase goes belly up. There's not the possibility that something with as limited supply as Vermeer ever does. Right. So contemporary art, you know, the oligarchs kind of figured out that if we just make this into the old master market. Oh, yeah. Endless then, steady supply. Then. And how easy is it for. That Larry- also sounds a lot like FTX and a Ponzi scheme, though. Well, because it is. But yeah, I mean, you know, you just have, you know, Larry going, all right, I'll give you some shows and give you some money if you fuck me once or twice. You know, but it's it's like it's those paintings are bad. It's the upper crust's final hedge against total collapse. I really don't think they'll let it fail. So back to the question of like, what does this mean for actual aesthetics? It returns me to my thesis I've had for a long time, which is just eventually the cultural market for art and the financial market of art will totally separate. That things that academics write about will not at all be the same thing that, it's trading. This is what I mean yeah. about like, you know, thinking about the brainer thing of like that stuff that like maybe it sells, maybe it sells to like rich fags, you know, to put in their like boudoir things with their other like things. Right. You know, but like it's not something that you are gonna send to an auction and expect to chandelier bid on. You know? It's just too small, it's just too niche. Like it can't actually do anything except be a wellspring for someone else to fuck with a little bit. Right. You know? Like that's that can become generative because it's not, you know, outside of that is it's not some like shitty paintings at a Brooklyn gallery that John Yao just wrote about. Right. Don't want to get into that. Cause that is, oh, they're so bad anyway. Like, but like it is something to be discursive, but like he, the Brainerds, you know, but here's the problem that I'm having that circles all the way back to an hour ago. We always bracket it so nicely. Don't oh, we so folks? Good. What do you do? If you don't have institutions to support that, because academia yeah. supports the market by and large, because it's captured by it. Well, academia supports the ideology that's good for the market too. Um, if you don't have the circle of critics and people that are authorities, call them sacred cows if you want, to start this nascent movement that exists in parallel but separate from the bastardized art market as we know it today you can't do it and we don't have parallel institutions we don't have parallel authorities so this work might be getting made i will cede you that yeah and maybe eventually when conditions pertain and are adjusted enough someone will rediscover it the people making it though will never know this. We will probably never know this. I mean, I would really, you know, try to rally the troops, but I'm just so tired. Well, but you there's know, people the, that are not. Yeah. Like the like the Manhattan Art Review is my primary example of this whenever I try to think yeah. about it. Like, that's nice, but that's he's got a reach of three thousand. You know? Yeah. Not yeah. very many people. Even by art world standards, Jerry Gagosian has a million followers, you know? Ugh, it's God. like I, I, I don't know what to do about it never have but i think the problem is pretty clear that you can't have like a complete rot of institutional authority at the same time that you're trying to exist parallel to a paradigm you don't support there has to be like a, a strain of 
resistance. Ew. Even though I hate that word. Ew. Yeah. The fuck out of here with that. I know. There has to be a counterculture. And there's not, really. No. Because there is no mid to counter at all. That's true. There, You know, the counterculture is the... You know, this is what you know. This is what the middle class always kind of stood for, right? Is not only the literal middle financial kind of thing, but like middle brow taste too. It was one and the same. This is how we got terrible aesthetics and IKEA. You know, avant garde and kitsch. Yeah. yeah, we don't even have that anymore. Because right. you can't kick against like, fuck you, mom. You don't know what you don't know what it's like. Because mom's like, listen, you don't know what it's like because I don't know what it's like to be a fucking billionaire. Okay. Right. It's not even like rich uncle steve with like a three-car garage that used to be the difference the richest person everyone knew had a three-car garage and a boat yeah because there used to only be millionaires you know yeah and you knew a millionaire maybe you knew a hundred thousand there no one knew any millionaires and it's like look the oligarchs always did a really good job of existing and keeping their wealth and keeping like any theories about them confined to a very small like conspiratorial minority but that's the mainstream now and the oligarchs themselves participate in the conspiracies think elon right you know like it's yeah. just this is so confusing <sighs> and the exhaustion yeah. perfectly encapsulated by <laughs> your incessant sighing that's all I can do sometimes, you know. You know? That, that's that's the mode. That's where we are. Who can make exhaustion art? That's what I kind of want to see. Who can like articulate that feeling? You know. Tilda Swinton took a nap in a box in MoMA. <laughs> Is that it? Maybe. Uh, can I take a nap in a box in MoMA? My favorite part of the uh, Morris Lewis goes to Milan documentary is they're interviewing in their in the cab of their truck a couple. The original couple, because there's lots of couples that do this now, that did long-haul trips from museum to museum to pick up their loans. And the guy goes, yeah, we picked up this show of a guy named Bees. He means Joseph Boys. I guess this guy, like, spent some time in a gallery with a coyote, and we picked up a bunch of trash. I never did understand it, but they paid real good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I think that guy understands it perfectly. That is the best <laughs> encapsulation I think I've ever heard. I don't get it, but it paid real good. Honestly, all, oh, that's too much economics. I'm, tell- I'm telling you guys, this video was a fucking gem. It, it's got a lot of hits in it like that. Oof. But it's not Painter's Painting where it's like cut for comedy. It's mm. like just so straight up. It's, you know. Did you watch The Office of Art Handling? Injected into my veins. Yeah, oh my God. That would be a great show. Somebody smarter and funnier than me could do like a an, an art handling office and it would be pretty great. <sighs> I feel like someone tried it and it was bad. Um, oy. My idea for a YouTube channel is an ASMR box making channel where I just mic up the like scoring of the cardboard and the and the ripping of the tape and the oh yeah you could cutting. make some cash that way i really think that would be successful the foam yeah ooh the foam that that slight squeak every now and then mhm mm. i think it would be good well what are you doing uh, i don't know man got to sneak a gopro into work mounted above the packing table oh yeah no can't do that <laughs> can't do that yeah, what do you think? I'm made of money? I can buy my own foam? That shit's like $400 a sheet. 
You're kidding me. Say some foam falls off the back of a truck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Valentine. They don't lock their you know they don't lock those trucks. Oh wow, the great foam heist, the Isabella Stewart foam heist. <sighs> the great foam heist of Metropolitan <laughs> Avenue. Yeah. Uh-huh. That would be a great movie too, an Ocean's Eleven style break in to steal some Valara. <laughs> move, 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 move. That crazy jazzy, you know, Steven Soderbergh music. A guy uh, doing a very poor Cockney accent. Don Cheadle. Right then, babes. You got to really hit the gas on that. Now pull. I think, unfortunately, if we were Ocean's Eleven, I would be Brad Pitt and you would be Clooney. Why is that unfortunate for me? Maybe it's good. I just want to be the main character, which is Clooney, but I, I don't think I can be. Why? I have to walk in there all what? Yeah, well, you you have to walk in there with a lot of authority and dupe everybody else involved because you're actually in love uh, with Julia Roberts Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get her back. And this is actually an elaborate scheme to do that. I feel like you're more into scheming behind people's backs. What? And I'm more just in it for the money. I scheme in front of people. (laughs) I feel like actually who you are, who's that old guy that died? You're actually Carl Reiner's character that pretends to be an old Russian man. (sighs) The real thing is we're... We're both Casey Affleck and Scott Compton. Yeah. <laughs> Closer. Yeah. Mm. You want to start a revolution in a dice factory? You ran over my remote-controlled car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.